Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 57 for August 18th, 2011. Continuing the 1990s Star Trek extravaganza. And so it is. So we are doing our third episode based on the Star Trek Volume 2 released by DC Comics. uh, Issues number 7, 8, and 9. Yep. And these came out April, May, and June of 1990. Right. And fine issues they are. Continuing the very rather long story arc. Um, yeah, and, and what's funny is that these first uh, eight issues have never been reprinted in like a trade paperback or anything. But the next set, uh, starting with episode or issue number ten, oh, uh, uh-huh. it does get its own trade paperback. So it's uh, it's kind of odd that you know hmm. it's not. I don't want to spoil the uh, the ending of the these three issues, but we're heading into something that's going to go over for a couple issues, but. All of this is lead up to that yeah. event, right. so it's kind of. I always thought it was weird that, you know, uh, these never got into a trade, and yet the actual event does. So it's kind of weird. Exactly, and it's interesting how there's like this big story arc about you know Kirk being the man, the man of the hour that everybody wants to kill, and that, and then within that they've got they've got multiple sub story arcs that go quite a while. So we're you know by the time we get to nine we'll end up one of the sub story arcs, and but still continue the larger story. Yeah, nothing really gets resolved at the end of nine, but but we're getting ahead well, of ourselves a little bit. Well, uh, it, we'll talk about it in a second. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, there's obviously a sub story arc which we're going to be talking about right here, where yep. as you will see. So you want to just jump straight into it? I say we should. All right, so issue number seven, April 1990, entitled – you ready for it? I'm waiting. Not sweetie. Exactly. <laughs> Not dot, 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 Sweeney. Yeah, so – Big uh, big exclamation mark at the end of that title. I wonder who, who this Sweeney guy is. Exactly. It's kind of a – it's not, not a very awe-inspiring name, but – I'm sure my voice will be all distorted with the uh, – exclamation there but uh but that's how it's written and it's written that way many many times as we'll get into it's a it's a ongoing joke so we'll start off the uh cover has the enterprise blasting out of a white explosion and we to the left we get headshots of kirk spock and mccoy nothing overly exciting about this uh this cover so it starts off with vice admiral tomlinson who I have written here, the evil Vice Admiral, is laying out his plan to let both the Klingons and Sala have their revenge against Kirk. He tells them that Kirk will be brought up on charges, and when he is found guilty, he will serve his sentences on a neutral planet or on neutral ground. The two rival leaders depart to contemplate this deal, 
Once alone, the council president confronts Vice Admiral about this unusual uh, – about the unusualness of the situation. The Vice Admiral will not hear of it, and he tells him that he has hired the best bounty hunter in the galaxy to track down Kirk, the infamous Sweeney. And then to that, the president says, not Sweeney. Ha, ha, ha. Never gets old. Anyways. Meanwhile, in a huge battleship of some kind, a green-skinned man begs to not be brought before the infamous Sweeney. A couple of thugs push him into a dark room where the massive Sweeney is standing. So Sweeney is a tremendously tall, hooded, I guess, man, I don't know, but he's like maybe 10, 14 feet tall. He's, he's gigantic, just this long column of a, a cloak creature of some sort it looks like he's four people tall or something yeah exactly he's he's ridiculous he's huge and so basically all you see is this incredibly tall silhouette and uh, at the head of the silhouette you see these gleaming red eyes so sweeney tells the man that the person who put the bounty on him is dead relieved the alien asks if that means that he'll get to go free sweeney says that depends on how much money you have and when the man states that he has none, Sweeney uses some laser eye beams to disintegrate him. Meanwhile, on a planet called Tau Gamma 2, which is a colony of 75 humans, the planet is actually breaking itself apart with some massive earthquakes. The planet is actually destroying itself, and they've put out a call for the Federation to come and uh, rescue them. The colony leader who is called Miss Janice, is hoping that the Federation release ship gets there soon. Uh, a man she's talking to ponders that it might be the Enterprise. Janice scoffs at the remark, saying that surely Kirk and the Enterprise would be put out of circulation since everybody wants Kirk dead. She would hate to see that, and this is quotes, walking target within 100 light years of the colony. So, as everybody might have guessed, the Enterprise is indeed en route to the colony. During the trip, Sulu and Chekhov discuss Sulu's woman problems, which, as you remember, is between Lieutenant Lee and Lieutenant Mira, who is the demon-looking woman. So Sulu is discussing his problems with them, and Chekhov has concerns about Ensign Futon, who's been acting very strange since the mission with the, um, the sick people a couple issues ago. While they're having this conversation, Kirk and Blaze are having a heated discussion where Blaze proves that Kirk only thinks of women as objects by flirting with him to get him to change his mind on something. And she storms off once she proves her point. Kirk has a conversation with McCoy, and he asks, and this is another quote, Do you think I like women? To which McCoy spits out his drink, and he asks Kirk the tough question that he has no answer to. And that is, and again quotes, have you ever met a good-looking woman that you didn't want? And again, Kirk has no reply to this. The Enterprise arrives to the planet, and Miss Janice refuses help from Kirk due to the bounties on his head. Kirk has a meeting with his senior staff to discuss options. Spock backs up Blaze's claim that he cannot just beam the colonists up without their permission. Kirk, Spock, and Blaze decide to beam down and try to talk some sense into the woman. So while they're beaming down, or assuming while they're beaming down, we get to see what Sweeney is doing. And he is being informed that the fleet has located Kirk, and they are about to arrive at his location. 
Sweeney informs his Tellerite lackey that he will be doing the hunt himself, to which he, everyone is quite surprised because uh, I guess he doesn't usually do the dirty work himself. So on the planet, Kirk tries to talk to Miss Janice. He is trying to assure her that the prices on his head are not that big of a deal when Sulu calls to inform him that they have been surrounded by Sweeney's fleet. The colonists start to freak out, and Kirk is ordered to get as far away from the colony as possible because they do not want the infamous Sweeney to think that they were harboring him in any way. Sulu and the Enterprise are viciously attacked by the fleet, but they are able to barely escape. On the planet, Kirk and company are in a speeder car racing away from the colony when a small craft overtakes them and blasts the car. As the car crashes, everyone is thrown clear but is relatively unhurt. The craft door opens and the tall shape of Sweeney starts walking down the the walkway. As he stands before Kirk, his appearance changes uh, so we no longer see the ghostly Sweeney, but we see a uh, maybe middle-aged British man in a tweed suit. And he tells Kirk, and this is another quote, You'll have to come with me or I'll be forced to kill you. There's a good chap. To be continued. So this is the, the biggest letdown of all time. <laughs> that this, letdown? Sweeney's just a little... Dweeby looking human guy and not this Well, I don't know if it's a letdown. Well, but that's that's part of the gimmick with Sweeney. I mean he's got this incredible reputation and he actually turns out to be, as you'll find out through the stories, quite a ruthless individual. And as we've already seen that he that he killed a lackey with uh, without even uh, so much as a hesitation. Well that wasn't but, a lackey, that was his uh that was his that was his bounce. The green-skinned guy. Was. Oh, okay. So fine. Well, whatever. Fine. Um, but, but really, the guy is just kind of well, what appears to be a normal guy, even a bit effeminate. I mean, this guy looks like he came off of a page from G- GQ or something, and he seems GQ a bit... from the '60s. <laughs> it's a very dated look, even for 1990. Oh, whatever. Looks what? like he should be a professor in some. No, 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 no. Take no. I wouldn't say that at all. I mean, you called it tweed, but I wouldn't call it tweed at all. What would uh, you call it? I think it's a very stylish-looking, uh, double-breasted uh, sport coat. He looks like a a GQ model. You think so? I, I, yeah, I definitely think so. With the collar upturned and the uh, handkerchief in the pocket. I mean, this guy. Yeah, appears quite I, dapper and um, and, and quite frankly a bit a bit gay, <laughs> quite frankly. But I wouldn't call him a I professorly don't know. I look. Kept, I kept looking for like little patches on the elbows and stuff. No. I was well, really getting got... a nineteen thirties professor type vibe from from the way he was dressed. Okay, well, I wasn't getting professor vibe. I was thinking he looked like a a thin. Slightly effeminate-looking version of a GQ Clark Gable. He's he got the little the Clark Gable mustache. Exactly, dark hair, but kind of a little, a little more thin, a little more skinny. Yeah. But anyways, I, I know that they were like building him up to be kind of the, you know, the Star Trek version of Boba Fett kind of thing. <laughs> the big reveal is, oh no, right. he's just a human-looking dude. Yep. 
Yeah. It's wearing, you know, yeah, but... almost like a Doctor Who type outfit. I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. In fact, when, when I finished it, I'm like, he's British. <laughs> <laughs> Better be some sort of Time Lord or something. Otherwise, <laughs> it's just silly. Well, we'll see him do amazing things uh, in the next issue, and there is no explanation for it. I mean, no. he's got this really his trick as well as we'll say he's, right. his tricked out glasses, which we've seen him use once already, although kind of like from a distance. He's got these uh, trick glasses that come in extremely handy, but he does some other things in the next issue that are superhuman. They never explain how he does all the amazing thing he things he does, which kind of annoys me. But I think part of what's cool about him is that he embodies a whole bunch of incongruities. I mean, here's this guy who is able to kill just about anybody, capture any bounty. He has a fleet of ships. He's got all this power. He keeps all of his lackeys under tight control for fear of dying. And yet here he is, an effeminate-looking, gentlemanly kind of dapper Dan. Uh, I I think it's kind of funny. And, And he's actually got a pretty good sense of humor. And he's quite civil and educated also. Yeah, no. it's definitely funny. I mean, he it's uh, and maybe that's the problem I have with it is that I think it's a lot of this I think is going uh, too far to the comical side. Oh, yeah. No, there is a lot of uh there's a lot of humor in this. Right. And you know, I'm reading the uh letters pages. Yeah. And that seems to be a big complaint that a lot of a lot of people were writing and and it never bothered me until until this these until Sweeney, the Sweeney issues. Thing. When he when it finally went over to the board with me, and I'm like, okay, I get it. The Russian jokes are getting a little old. <laughs> Sweeney being a you know dapper bounty hunter that's you know always ready for tea or whatever. I mean, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> right, 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 right. I was like, okay, I'm 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 about editing enough with the the humor. Right, I can understand that. It didn't get too much for me. I I, I was still enjoying it. But well, yeah, I, I could, still I could see it, how it, and I like the overall story. It's just yeah. But anyways, yeah, I thought the beginning of the issue, the first X number of panels, I thought the quality of the artistry was lower than previous ones, a little rougher. As the comic progressed, though, I think it, it got to looking pretty good. So right. I mean, it's good. It's great. I'm, I'm just, it, it's just something that I got from the first couple pages. It just seemed to be lo- a little lower quality. Yeah, the first several pages on all of these, like the first two pages, are exposition, and it usually revolves around the president talking to right. somebody to kind of give the reader, you know, a two-page. Here's what's going on with Kirk and the Nazgul and the Klingons and right. Sweeney. So it's definitely a, a, a plot device that they use for all three of these issues. Right, and definitely the drawings of the Sala. And even Vice Admiral Tomlinson, uh, I those are the ones in particular I thought looked kind of rough, a little rougher than uh, had been seen previously. Hmm. Anyway, I can see that. Anyway, uh... hey, just real quick, I forgot to do the uh, credits. Can I do them real quick? So the the credits here yes, are writer is Peter David. The penciler is James Fry, but it's listed as Marie Fry's son. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was cute. Uh, the inker is Arnie Starr. Letterer is Bob Piena. Uh, colorist, Tom McCraw. And editor is Robert Greenberger. 
So at the beginning, there's the uh, Miss Janice character, the the leader of this colony that's being ravaged by these earthquakes. So when I was reading it, I thought she looked a lot like uh, the way I remember Miss Robinson looking in Lost in Space, the original Lost in Space. Mrs. Robinson? Mm-hmm. Right. Not the Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate. you? <laughs> well, she was Mrs. Robinson, though. But yes. Right. But not yeah. that one. Yeah, exactly. But he, and at first I thought, well, maybe she was supposed to be Nurse Chapel or Doctor Chapel because she had that face that was like she's supposed to look like somebody. Hey, you think and, so? Yeah. Uh, or at least I thought so. And then right. I and then I was like, no, that can't be Nurse Doctor Chapel. And then they call her Janice, and I'm like, is it supposed to be Janice Rand? I was like, it doesn't look anything like her. And then it's yeah. it's not either one. But I don't know. I just to me, I thought it looked like somebody the lost know. the space mom. And she does, and and like we had mentioned before the recording, her green collared outfit that she's in these these first ones with, uh, except for the puffy shoulders, that looks a little bit like uh, you know the the velour outfits that they wore at least during some seasons of the of the Lost in Space show. Right. So I, I look forward to reading the letter columns here in the next uh, couple issues to see if anybody else. Picked up on that. Mentioned that, yeah. yeah. And see if I'm completely wrong, which may be the case. I, I thought she looked like Mrs. Brady, personally, but... Oh, really? No, I just make it. I just made that up. <laughs> I didn't think she looked like anybody, but... But now that you mention it, she does kind of look like uh, Mrs. Robinson. And what was that actress's name? June Lockhart? Something like that. Maybe, I don't know. All right, so what else you got? What do you think about uh, I, the Blaze-Kirk relationship? Well, it, you know, as long as they don't... Well, they've been dragging this on for a while now. And as long as any single bit is not dragged on too long, I'm okay with it. I do like the Kirk and McCoy heart-to-heart talk about the, you know, after the latest blow-up. Right. Because you had, you had talked about it. You, 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 did a little time, you spent a little time in there. Uh, I thought one of the funnier parts was, and you, and you mentioned part of it, Kirk, oh, what did Kirk? I mean, you you had quoted the yeah, first part. Yeah, of it. Kirk says, "Bones, do you think I like women?" Right, and the and so the immediate it... and the immediate thing uh, McCoy says uh, after he spits up his drink, uh, uh, as opposed to what? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I thought that was kind of uh, kind of a funny reaction, and uh, then it goes on, and I thought it was kind of funny because, I mean, he's basically asking. A very loaded question. I mean, he's asked... One of the things he asks is, have you... Yeah, right, okay. So, have you ever met an attractive woman that you didn't want... Did did not want at some point? You know, you know sexually, obviously. Right. And it's like, oh my God, that's a loaded question. Well, even... If even I heard her- that... I mean, if somebody asked me that question, I know how I'd answer... And I don't think of my – I'm, I'm no ladies' man. I, I think most guys, you know, unless they're half dead, if they meet an attractive woman and they're exposed to them on an ongoing basis, they're probably going to think about you know, little, at least little thoughts uh, mm. at some point. Well, what about you, Donovan? I've, I think I've answered the question in my, from my standpoint. I'm not going to answer that question, Ken. <laughs> Because <laughs> your wife might listen to this, <laughs> well, mine won't. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But, I mean, Kirk even sets him up. He, he says that, uh, and this is another quote, he says, uh, am I someone who regulates women to, or uh, each woman I meet, especially good-looking ones, to the status of either I want her or I don't want her? Oh. So, I mean, he's, he's flat-out asking him. So, yeah, I think it's funny. And he has no answer to yeah, and again, that's done for the three-panel comedic effect kind of thing, or multiple panels. Usually it's three, though. Yeah, this but, one is three, right. and you can almost hear the music in the background. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> now, uh, I just noticed while we were talking about it, uh, McCoy's drink that he's drinking is right. Old Jang Spirit, which is a uh Oh, did you like, zoom in on that or something? No, I'm just looking at the page. I got the comic in front of me. I'm not using the DVD. Oh, okay. Um, so you got yeah. better resolution. Uh, it's it's real, so I guess so. <laughs> well, but yeah, but I mean, I'm I can't see that label. Well, uh, okay. Let let, let 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 me zoom in a bit. Okay, so so that that's a drink from Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, Old... that's like yeah, that's like the the big drink that uh, everybody drinks. Old oh, drinks I didn't. And now that I zoom in on it, 200% on the PDF, uh, yeah. That, indeed, that's what it says. Uh, I did fun. not know that. You should read Hitchhiker's Guide. It's it's a pretty good book. Well, I've seen the uh, the TV show countless times. Love that. The movie sucked, but the, the, the TV show was great. And then I have listened to the audiobook. Okay. But I don't then remember you know that all about being mentioned. I don't remember about old Jang spirit. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Anyways. So uh, about the blaze and Kirk thing, I I just, I was a little awkward when she started hitting on him and telling him how attractive he is and stuff like that. And, and you knew that was a trap. I was hoping it was because I was like, I was like, Oh my goodness. This is just, (laughs) I'm picturing Star Trek five and Star Trek six version of Kirk. And, and I, He's pretty up there. I don't, I don't see him being quite the ladies' man as she's letting on, and he's falling for it completely. Yeah. Yeah, but also, I mean, they've obviously drawn him in these comics quite a bit. Right, Younger, right, right. Yeah. slimmer, and svelter. Well, as every comic book character should. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah, you yeah want Scotty's action. the only one that doesn't get... <laughs> <laughs> the slimming effect? <laughs> yeah, everybody else is incredibly muscular, and then Scotty's just like, hey, yeah. well, He's Scotty. Let's draw him big. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a large man's store he shops at. Anyways. Right. Uh, I do think Blaze's outfits are not quite as um, extreme. I mean, they're still cute. I mean, she's definitely got like this mini skirt jacket thing kind of sort of going in this issue uh, where you see a lot of leg, but not nearly as uh, over the top as in previous issues. True. Profits. True. Um, how about the... It, okay. So speaking about things that might be related to something else, there's this kid that pops up every once in a while. Uh, first on the planet, and then we'll see him later on. And he, he, he usually confronts Kirk out of the blue, and he, he's got a ray gun, and he's got a like a superhero spaceman kind of costume. And he yeah. goes... And he, he like shoots Kirk with his ray gun. And at first I was, the first time I saw him, I was looking at him going, cool outfit, kid, and I like your ray gun. I wouldn't mind having a prop of, you know, adding that to my prop collection. But um, 
And then he pops up in the third one, and I'm just kind of wondering, is this supposed to... I mean, is that supposed to be like a takeoff of a real uh, superhero character or something that may have some some relationship that I'm not aware of? Or is it just a kid they, they drew up out of the blue? Uh, he definitely looks like the old Flash Gordon type exactly. it, it, uniform. It, yeah, or... Because he has like a lightning bolt on the cu- on the on the chest, right. and he has the little pointed fin-looking uh, hat thing. Did, now, I, I guess I'm more used to the uh, to the old movies with Buster Crab and stuff. But I know Buck Rogers had like like more of a head covering thing, where uh, Flash Gordon was always like nothing was on his head, and he had curly blonde hair. So uh, did, did Flash old... Gordon have that too? Well, I thought in the old uh, in the old uh, serials, he always had the helmet. Oh, Flash Gordon? Yeah, I thought so. Usually not. Usually not. Now, Buster Crab also played Buck Rogers, although that was less. I think that was less famous because I, I most remember when I was a kid, Buster Crab as Flash Gordon and seeing a lot of Flash Gordon. But I think he also played Buck Rogers in fewer stories, and I'm not sure, but I think it was. Uh, Buck Rogers that had the head covering. Okay, you might. Well, be whatever, right. whatever. I mean, the main point is, I thought uh, the second time I saw the kid, is is this kid supposed to be some reference to a real uh, thing, or something from a different um, franchise? And you're right, maybe maybe it is meant to be Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, he's annoying. But he's got a cool outfit. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely in here just for comedic effect. Yeah, yeah. So he shows up here, and then he shows... Yeah, you might be right with the Buck Rogers thing. I just pulled up a picture, and, and he has kind of the fin helmet on. Yeah, or yeah, or hood, or... I don't know. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, a head covering. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. he's... Uh, again, it's just another thing where they threw it in there to get a, a giggle out of people, I guess. Right. And definitely with his costume and with Miss Janice's outfit, it's definitely going for a 60s, 50s sci-fi vibe, I thought. Yeah, probably. probably, I would like to make a comment about something that's a bit perplexing to me. Towards the end of the comic, there's a, a panel where the Enterprise is first confronted by the four, five, six, whatever number of Sweeney's flotilla his force of ships and one of the ships looks a little bit like a goose in shape which reminds me in many ways of serenity from the tv show uh, firefly and then later the movie serenity now it's not exactly the same because serenity had these two like nacelle kind of things on the side that would pivot so they could kind of like uh, hover and things like that but this drawing does not have the, the nacelles on the side. But generally the body and definitely like the neck and the front of it that comes up looks kind of like Serenity, uh, the ship. Yeah. I can see it. I see what you're talking about. And uh, this thing was drawn in 1990. And Firefly uh, had its all too short a run in 2002. So... Is this complete coincidence that they both happen to look so similar? I mean, they have nothing to do with each other? I mean, obviously, this comic has nothing to... They, they took nothing from the TV show. But did the TV show creators maybe 
I don't know, take something from this comic? I don't know. It's kind of a mystery. I'm thinking it's a coincidence. It probably is. It's just that if you look at it, it looks awfully close. Hmm. I agree. It it looks close. So it's it's worth it to buy the car the the comic book just so you can see if you happen to be a Firefly fan also. And I would think anybody who likes Star Trek would be digging on Firefly in some way. Yep, you'd have to. Right. Okay, so I just wanted to mention that. That's all I have to say. I, I do like when the uh, when those ships do attack the Enterprise. I thought that was actually a cool picture. It shows the Enterprise in silhouette, and then there's just the big explosion behind it. I thought right. that actually was a pretty cool visual. Right. Oh, when it gets the hell out of Dodge, or heck out of Dodge? Well, before it does that, but when it's getting hit, when they're getting bombarded on all sides. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. And they are completely surrounded. Yeah. And I'll also mention that one of the ships, which kind of has a a three-engine configuration. Yep. It's yellow in color. That reminds me a little bit of the Liberator from from Blake 7. So I'll just mention that too. But I'll take your word for it. Fine. Look it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Blake 7, Liberator. Anyway. But just a little bit. It's it's really the uh, the other ship that looks like Serenity that that's that's more of a thing for me. Right. So you want me to tell you what I thought you were going to make a comment on? What? When they're driving in the car, the hover car, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah. it's obviously a convertible. Right. And there's this picture with Shatner's hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> I thought you were going to make a uh, toupee joke. Why would I do that, Donovan? A lot of people make jokes about the Shat's hair. The Shat's hair. So anyways, I just thought it was funny because it, it, it blowing in the wind, it looks a lot longer than what it does when it's not blowing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's it's a curly little little closer to the head affair. So they're going little fast. Little it's actually making his fast. hair grow. <laughs> it's that fast. You know, I, I was thinking... Uh, at one point uh, this past week or two, after we saw Planet of the Apes, uh, what, uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Right. Uh, I think that's the movie that's out in the theaters now. Which, by the way, is a pretty good movie. I liked it. It was a really good movie. Yeah. I think it was a very nice uh, send-off or, you know, first of multiple movies. I'm saying I'm saying it's going to be a trilogy, you know, to kind of get the franchise, you know, go back to the well and get more money out of the franchise. Anyway, sure. but I think it was well done. But there's uh, definitely a lot of scenes where John Lithgow plays a very excellent job, somebody who has Alzheimer's, uh, Mm -hmm. the father of the main character. And he's kind of like, I mean, he's playing a pathetic character at parts because he doesn't, you know, at parts of the movie, he doesn't have his memory. And he's there in bed and he just looks looks depressed and and blank faced and disheveled. And there's some really close ups in there. And uh, I don't know whether they helped him look old. Uh, a little bit, because he's, he's no young guy, but uh, he looked pretty old in this movie. Um, but I was just thinking, like, what if Shatner ever took a role like that? Because he's getting up there. So, um, what, I mean, what if he ever uh, took a role because he wanted to do more the acting thing? I mean, serious acting, where he would do something like that, play somebody's father, uh, sick, 
in a disheveled look. I mean, would he actually take the step of taking the toupee off just to kind of shock people and uh, and help his acting cred? I don't know. Probably not. Because I have never seen the chat in any photos without the toupee on. Have you? So you think that he's a, it's, a toupon, it's a toupee? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I'm still thinking that it's not. Oh, Oh yeah, Shat- Shatner's famous for having, lo- uh, you know, uh, pretty strong hair loss. <laughs> All right, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't. He doesn't look that old, though. I mean, his. What well, he's eighty years old, right? Right. Didn't he just he... turn eighty. Yeah. No, and, so, I mean, and... he's just a couple of months younger than than Clint Eastwood, and Clint Eastwood looks. A lot older than he does. <laughs> he does, although Clint Eastwood's also in a hell of a lot better shape. But yeah, his face is really old. Oh yeah, Clint and, Eastwood and it, or or Shatner's. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah, and Shatner's from a face standpoint, he's got that baby he's face not going that, now. Exactly. He, he, <laughs> he's got that round cherubic baby face. Uh, agreed. So he's got good skin. I mean, but he's eighty. So it's like, well, he, he looks good for his age. But I'm just wondering whether he ever would um, put the ego aside for a few minutes and uh, do something like that for the uh, for the acting job. Eh, right. I, I don't know. Don't know. Okay, that's all I have to say about this issue. How about you? Or this? Uh, yeah, issue. No, right, that's, right. that's all I have about the issue itself. I I I wrote in my notes that uh, I noticed that the. Uh, the letters pages had a, a like a hiccup here where oh, yeah. they have like the two pages for the Star Trek uh, original series letters page, and then for some reason they have the Next Generation's letters page in here too. Oh, really? Which I thought was weird. That's very weird. And uh, in the next issue, they actually reference it, but I, I made a note here in my notes that I and thought so. That in the was next weird. issue, they yeah, I see that. I have one complaint. Of, with the current STTNG comic, it doesn't last long enough, huh? So what what'd they say in the next issue? Oh, that, that was a there printing was, error. Uh, there was printing gremlins that caused the problem. Oh, so I just thought it was mm-hmm. funny. Um, and then the other thing is, is that in the letters column, they're talking about um, at this time with Star Trek becoming really famous, or not becoming, but probably at the apex of its popularity. Uh, they were talking about doing a Star Trek Starfleet Academy movie mm-hmm. as the sixth of the movie franchises. Right. And I remember when this was being talked about, and I remember I was just like so against doing a movie that didn't have the original cast as those characters. Right. And then, you know, when the when Star Trek Eleven came out, and that's pretty much what they did, right. I, I, I just kept remembering this time – you know, in 1990, when when that was being talked about doing that, then. So I just think it's funny that that they pretty much did that idea, uh, but I think they did it better. Yeah. Young versions of them in Starfleet Academy, and I remember at the time not liking that idea because one, Spock should be quite a bit older than the the rest of them. Exactly. Which. I thought they they handled that pretty well in the movie. They did. They acknowledged he was an upperclassman, but and had graduated, but. Right. And was back as a teacher, but So yep. anyways, I just thought it was funny that the you know, that they were talking about doing basically that same storyline as far back as nineteen ninety. 
And that is an interesting point because I thought this was uh, Orky and uh, I forgot the other guy's name. Uh, and then J.J. Uh, Abrams. I mean, I thought the whole script was theirs. But no, it sounds like the original story or at least the idea for the story was given to them. Yeah, it's been floating around for, for yeah. years. Right, right. Hmm. But, uh, you know, I was in high school in 1990, and I just remember just being opposed to the thought of that, that <sighs> instead of doing a Star Trek six with the original cast, you were going to recast everybody as young versions of them. Right. I was just, like, very against it back then. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, anyways, that was just my little... It, it just story. goes to prove if you got the right people in there handling it, they can usually tell a good story. So they do. Right. Yep. Okay, so we're already 40 minutes into the recording. So let's uh, get on to number eight, maybe? Do it, do it. Okay, so this next one is Going, Going, that's the title of it, May 1990, same folks involved, uh, only this time it actually calls him James W. Fry, the penciler, didn't, didn't talk about uh, his mother. Yeah, let's get this synopsis going. The cover shows Sweeney holding Spock in the air helpless with one arm while shooting a green beam out of his glasses that disintegrates Kirk's phaser right out of his hand. Blaze looks on helplessly. This all takes place on an arid planetary surface. Red lettering says, Not Sweeney, which is actually the title of the previous issue, not this one, which I thought was a little odd, but whatever. So the issue opens up in the Federation Council President's office, as many of these open where Vice Admiral Tomlinson victoriously announces he has brokered a deal where the Sala and the Klingon ambassador will accept the Federation trial of Kirk. The president accepts the statement, but he says he has not decided to reverse the Federation's earlier decision to not press charges against Kirk. The back and forth ends when word reaches them that Sweeney has captured Captain Kirk and will send him or sell him to the highest bidder. The bidding begins right then and there, despite the fact that no representative for Sweeney is present. The president's impatience with the ongoing mess is expressed non-verbally. Meanwhile, on Tau Gamma 2, Sweeney, looking like a dapper, thin, gay version of Clark Gable, asks Kirk a second time to come along quietly in a very verbose and effeminate way. Kirk responds by pulling out his phaser which Sweeney vaporizes with a beam from his glasses. Spock attacks Sweeney with the Vulcan neck pinch from behind, but is surprised to find it has no effect. Sweeney lifts Spock into the air and tosses him like a rag doll. Kirk attacks, but Sweeney dodges his blows and lands two solid blows of his own. As Kirk slowly gets to his feet, Sweeney blasts him with his trick glasses. The only defender left is Blaze, who can only say in a weak voice, Help? Where is Security Officer Futon when you need him? Elsewhere, Acting Captain Sulu is talking to Admiral Stefanov about Kirk and Spock's abduction. At best speed, Stefanov and the Exeter can rendezvous with Enterprise in ten hours at the earliest. They, and hopefully other ships they can call to the fight, are needed to even the odds with Sweeney's fleet that numbers six heavily armed ships. The Admiral makes a comment about Russians inventing cavalries and terminates the connection. Chekhov is more than pleased. 
Kirk and Blaze are in jail cell on Sweeney's ship. Kirk tries to get Sweeney to pick up the colonists before Tau Gamma 2 breaks up. He refuses, and also refuses to tell Kirk where Spock is being held. The scene shifts to where Spock is being held. Suspended, upside down, in metal restraints, Sweeney is taking no chances with the Vulcan. Sweeney challenges Spock to a game of chess, since his own crew refuses to play him due to their fear that they might actually win. Spock says he does not fear Sweeney. When Sweeney asks Spock if he fears death, Spock makes a very clever statement. He responds that he was not afraid the first time he died, so he imagines it becomes less intimidating with subsequent experiences. Well said, Mr. Spock. Back in the other jail cell, Kirk is humming Brahms' lullaby while conversing with Blaze. At the end of the conversation, he finally calls her RJ. Scene shifts to Captain Claw's ship, where the Klingon ambassador is ordering him and his ship to the Tau Gamma system and take Kirk from Sweeney. On hearing that they are up against Sweeney, all the crew has to say is, Not Sweeney! Spock and Sweeney's chess match is filled with clever banter back and forth between the two combatants. Just before Spock makes his checkmate move, he asks Sweeney how he shrugged off his Vulcan neck pinch. Sweeney calls it a trick he picked up and asks if Spock likes it. Spock replies, no. Checkmate. Sweeney considers the board and his loss. He reacts by vaporizing the board with his glasses and asks Spock for another game. Spock agrees. Meanwhile, in Kirk's cell, he has successfully hummed the Andorian guard to sleep since their antennae make them particularly susceptible to the low-frequency vibrations of humming Brahms. Everyone knows that. When Kirk's attempts to slip the guard's electronic key stick off his belt fails, he yanks the guard into the cell's electronic force field and renders him unconscious. RJ takes the guard's phaser, and they make their break for it. When spotted by two crewmen, R.J. proves she's handy with a gun as she stuns them both. Kirk lets her keep the gun while he grabs another. In Sweeney's office, Spock executes another checkmate. When Sweeney receives word, the Enterprise has returned with three additional ships. Sweeney turns his back on Spock when he is told that Kirk and R.J. have escaped. Spock lays his hand on Sweeney's shoulder as if to do another ineffective Vulcan neck pinch, which Sweeney attempts to comment on. His condescending remark is cut short when Spock whips him around and hits him with an old-fashioned punch right across the jaw. Spock's Vulcan strength sends Sweeney into the wall where he folds into unconsciousness. Sulu and the Federation fleet addresses Gaz, the pig-faced Tellerite, who is in temporary command of Sweeney's fleet. They order Gaz to return all Federation prisoners, or they will attack. Gaz tells them they are awaiting the start of the auction for Kirk, and they are welcome to join in to the bidding. Sulu says they will not deal with terrorists. Gaz says the Federation will not attack unless provoked. Sulu says multiple of their actions, including Kirk's abduction, is provocation enough. 
Sulu confers with Admiral Stefanov, who tells them they can attack. Sulu orders Chekhov to fire a photon torpedo set to half-yield at them as a warning shot to show that they are serious. Elsewhere, on Sweeney's ship, Kirk and RJ are running and gunning to the bridge. RJ is hit with a non-lethal shot to the thigh. While helping her to her feet, another of Sweeney's goons come up behind them. Spock comes up behind the goon and does his deck pinch thingy to the firing crewman. The shot misses Kirk and RJ. Kirk tells Spock to take RJ to the nearest transporter room, and when the ship's shields drop, they are to beam down to the planet's surface. When the space fight is over, as they usually end quickly once started, they will be beamed off the crumbling planet. Kirk goes on alone to the bridge at its shield controls. At that moment, a Nazgul ship arrives and claws Bird of Prey. Both are intent on taking Kirk at all costs. To be continued, of course. <laughs> so, we have quite an interesting little uh, situation set up, don't we? How will it all resolve? Well, I'm sure somebody is bound to say, Not Sweeney! Again, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know that Kirk and company are going to emerge victorious, of course, naturally. But at the end of this issue, I was really kind of looking forward to seeing how Peter David was going to extricate him from this situation. Yeah, right. the details of it. Right, right, right. I-, I like that claw came back, the Klingon claw. Oh, right. I I I kind of liked him from Star Trek Four, or I'm sorry, Star Trek Five, and then right. the earlier issues of this series. Right. So, I hope he has a big part next issue. <laughs> you think he would? Well, at least a part, anyway. You would think he would. Yeah. So again, this was a good issue. I, I like the issue. Again, I think maybe there's a few too many jokes. Like this one is really heavy on the uh, Russian jokes about, you know, the Russians invented phasers, or Russians invented. The cavalry, Russians invented whatever. Right. Which is mostly coming from the uh, the Russian admiral. Yeah, and this one it is, but... Is he an admiral or is he a captain? I forgot. Admiral. Okay. So, again, just... I, usually Chekhov's making a joke every every issue. This exactly. one. Exactly. And, of course, Chekhov is just thrilled to death <laughs> that he's doing it. <laughs> and Sulu's like, not now. Yeah, well, Sulu's yeah, Sulu's unhappy with the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's not now because I, you know, this is kind of serious stuff we're trying to deal with right here. But it's also kind of like, oh my god, more Russian invented stuff, and now it's from an admiral I can't say anything to. <laughs> I do like how they depicted Sulu in command here. I, yes. I think he's he's he comes across as very competent, and he, you know, is making all the right right choices. Right, which is uh, never the kind of stuff we really got to see in the original series. Um, right, I mean, it, yeah. it was like it was like Sulu, Sulu, Sulu's normal, 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 and all of a sudden uh, in five he's Captain Sulu. Right. So it just seemed a little abrupt. Whereas if they had something like this, where he could be more like a Riker kind of thing, you know, because you know in Next Gen, you know when when Riker took command, you know. He was on. I mean, you, you, you believed him as a very competent uh, stand-in for Picard. Uh, so, 
Right. I, I was wishing we could see more of that in the in the real TV show or movies uh, with Sulu. But right. But I think this definitely does a good job, and you got to keep in mind that this was written before Star Trek Six, and yeah. and so you know Peter David didn't know that that's what ultimately was oh. going to happen to. Oh, it was six that he came out as Captain Sulu. Okay, yeah, right. That's yeah, right. my mistake. Where he's just yeah. So, anyways. So a little bit more quality control problems. Oh yeah, which one? Where? Where this time? In the first pages, Vice Admiral Tomlinson's skin color changes from Caucasian the first time we see him back to his typical gray. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and again, it's these first page or two that's the exposition that, that I agree with you that the artwork doesn't seem as good as the rest of the issue. Right, and they even mess up a little bit on the on colors. but Right. So, anyways, more of Sweeney, and he's basically just taking the classic, you know, mustache-twirling villain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm so evil, I can just kill people, and... You know, all my lackeys I'm just going to kill once they anger me just because they I beat them at a game of chess. Or, right, right. Uh, that seemed a little over the top. I mean, you either are cultured or you're not, and I don't really need him to be <clears throat> destroying the chessboard every time he loses and threatening to kill people just because he loses. And it just, yeah. it just seemed too much, too, too mustache-twirling, evil, cartoony. Okay. And my opinion is, I enjoy Sweeney. I like Sweeney. I mean, I like the odd, multiple facets of Sweeney. In a lot of stories with squeaky clean heroes, the interesting thing is either making the squeaky clean heroes maybe not quite as squeaky clean, which they never do with Star Trek in general, or you have really interesting villains. And I find Sweeney to be very interesting. So mm-hmm. it's just my my take on it. Obviously, different from yours, and that's cool. Sure. But I, I I find I, I'm in, I'm kind of enjoying Sweeney. Uh, actually, I I thought it was kind of I thought it was pretty good humor when uh, when Sweeney's looking at the board and he just fries it, and then he, then after he fries it, he kind of looks off to the left and kind of like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Uh, another go, Spock. <laughs> you know, I, I I thought that was kind of funny. I like that. I agree with you. It's funny. It's in there for for it's there for comedy. And right. you know, from reading the letters pages, either people love the comedy, yeah, which or they just don't. seems like you are, and yeah. other people don't, which you know I'm kind of on the fence on. Yeah, I like it to a certain degree, but to me, Sweeney was just a little Too over much. the top. Yeah, That's cool. but but again, usually I love Peter David's humor. Yeah. You know, he sneaks it in there all the time, and and right. usually I really enjoy it. But for these, whatever reason, these three issues just I didn't enjoy it as much. Right. But I'm glad you are. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad that you know someone is. No, I'm just glad that between the two of us, you know, we're we're pretty much you know half and half. Just like it seems like the letters pages, everybody was half and half about. Right. Right. You either loved it or you hated it. Right. So, so that's cool. I'm glad uh, you liked it. I did. Since we're talking about Sweeney. Can I just mention that something I don't like about Sweeney, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, is he's picking up Spock with one... Well, first off, how did he not get affected by the Vulcan neck pinch? I mean, okay, so maybe he's got some lining in his suit or something, uh, like, like, like like some... 
some metal chuckaboot or something, chuckaboot or something, but uh, a metal like thing in his in his jacket or something, so you know Spock can't pinch him. So I can understand that kind of trick. But how is he picking him up, Spock, up in the air with one arm and throwing him what was depicted to be quite a ways? I mean, Spock's not no lightweight. And he's doing this with one arm. So does he have some kind of exoskeleton underneath that uh, that dapper GQ jacket or something? I'm just wondering. Or is he not human? I mean, he appears to be human. Right, uh, he definitely appears to be human. Um, I, I think we, or at least in my mind, we get the answer to this question in the next issue, so I don't want to really? say. Okay. Okay, fine. Well, you tell me then, because I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Okay. You remember how that issue ends, though, right? Oh, yeah, I remember how it ends. Okay. And, and and I don't – well, let's talk about it then. And that's another yeah. thing. When we get to the next issue, I want to talk about that too because I don't think it was sufficiently <laughs> explained. Uh, and maybe it was sufficiently explained, and I missed it. But... No, it's not. It's not, but let's get to that in a second. Okay, sounds fine. Um, so, Humming and Dorian's to sleep? Ah, uh, yeah. You loved it, right? No. Okay. No. <laughs> no, and yeah, I, I, I think you got that from my comments. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, that, that, that little piece of humor I wasn't as uh, enamored with. Yeah, I, every time it showed him humming, he always had his arms crossed across his chest. Right. And, I, and I couldn't tell if maybe his, you know, hands were in each, each sleeve or something. Right. And I kept hoping, you know, when he was humming all the time, that he was actually tinkering around with something in his jacket oh. that was making noise but he was humming to mask it mm-hmm. so i was like oh that's that's really cool he's you know being really subtle about it and she doesn't know what's going on right and then it's just like nope i hummed him to sleep and yeah. i was like oh <laughs> man you had me going <laughs> yeah yep good so. point i i'm not that crazy about that but I did like it when he grabbed the Andorian and, and, and pulled him into the uh, force field bars that shocked him. I thought that was right. actually kind of cool, and, and that visual was really good. Yeah, that, that was good. It was unexpected, and it was smart, and it's like, well, that's probably what you should have done in the first place. Yeah, and I liked the humor there where he grabbed yeah. him, and he's like, well, at least I have plan B, and he zaps himself. Right, because the Andorian's a smart guy, a wise guy. Who's saying, boy, what a dumb plan, because he grabs Kirk's arm as he's trying I, to grab thought, the thing. I thought that was her who said that. Oh. I thought, no, I think. Oh, no, yeah. That's no, the Andorian. Unco- you're going to render me unconscious. What a pathetic plan. And then he zaps him, and he says, well, I had a pathetic black backup plan. What, yeah, that, exa- that was good. Right, yeah. So that, that yeah, so there's a little bit of banter between the two of them, and, uh, and that, that was a good way that, that they end up getting out. I thought it was clever. And I really enjoyed the the progression of Blaze and Kirk's relationship here. That that yeah. she was, you know, she's part of it. She sees what he has to go through, and she's you know kind of seeing it from his point of view. And he's making every effort to see it from her point of view. Right, and, and also kind of buy that they're starting to like each other now. Right, and also she's expressing gratitude. That's the right word. She's yeah. expressing her gratitude. Where I I kind of glossed over this, but. Earlier, when he's asking for Sweeney to save the the colonists, pulling them up before the planet goes to bits, he's also asking that Spock and Blaze get released. Right. And, of course, smart guy that Sweeney is, he says, oh, where would you like me to release them to? The planet that's breaking up beneath us? So I, I kind of went over that. But now here, 
in the jail cell, she is expressing gratitude to him. So that was kind of good. Yeah. She sees he's not just a male chauvinist pig, but also as somebody that protects his people. So, if he can. Right. Yep. Uh, and then I, the, oh. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to go in a totally different area. So if you're going to continue on the same same thread, you talk. Well, it has to do with Blaze, but I was just going to mention go. that when Blaze gets hit by the the laser, just a flesh wound and she kill her leg or whatever. I, yeah. I know that's in every Western and action movie that right. that the hero can get hit and it won't hurt them, and then yet every shot they make kills somebody. Right. Yep. <laughs> so or disintegrates them or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, like in you know Commando or whatever the movie was. Right. They like could the every shot kill thing? somebody. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. All, I mean, Commando to me was really bad because you know one shot somebody was flying over the cliff or whatever dead right and then he would get shot and it would just be like a little graze on his arm and he would it would never slow him down <laughs> so i mean it's just you know it's very cliche yeah so uh, i just wanted to bring it up right good point go ahead like what it. were you gonna say other direction something i was wondering about is at the beginning of the book when they were in the president's office the sala and the klingon ambassador accepting the uh, federation trial of kirk uh, I think accepting that is one thing, but will they accept the sentence? Because if if the Federation is trying him, they're going to sentence him. So if they don't sentence him to death, which they're not going to do, then it isn't going to solve anything. So I just well, not only that, but what if he's found not guilty? Which exactly, you know, exactly. is ultimately going to be the case. Of course, yeah, because it's going to basically come to light. Sala, you're a big blowhard jerk. And bullying your people and every race you come into contact because you're so great and wonderful. And Kirk stood up to you, you big bully. Go home. You know, come on. Yeah, and you're not even a member of the Federation. Exactly. Why are we even talking to you? Exactly. Why are we actually going through this trial? Kirk, you're a great guy. Shoot him. (laughs) And the Klingon, too. Yeah, the the Klingon while you're at it. (laughs) Because he's a pissant over all the all the garbage trying to steal Genesis that that other Klingon was doing. I forgot his name. Uh, I'm sure yeah, you know it. I, I never... Uh, Klang, right? Klang. Kang? Klang? Yeah, something, yeah, something like, that. like that. Right. Dr. Brown? Doc Brown? Oh, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, of course... <laughs> Kirk, give me Genesis! It just sounded like... Reverend Jim. Like Reverend Jim, exactly. <laughs> From Taxi. All right. I don't have any more about this issue. Okay. I thought the drawings of the phasers were pretty accurate in this issue. I always appreciate when they when they do a good job drawing the phasers. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that they are the post-motion picture slash Wrath of Khan style, which they started using, I think, in Search for Spock first. But I always like that phaser a lot better than the stupid-looking ones in motion picture and Wrath of Khan. So, mm-hmm. uh, Spock's... Oh, Oh, yeah, so I, I thought it was really cool uh, about Spock's final defeat of Sweeney, you know, when they have their rematch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time, Spock knows a little bit more about Sweeney's tricks. He's able to do a good old-fashioned, very Kirkian kind of uh, knockout punch. I like that. Yeah, I thought that was good, too, because yeah. he's Sweeney's saying, oh, honestly, Vulcans are so predictable. Get some punch <laughs> in the face. Exactly. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I thought I have to say. Okay, well, 
then let's jump straight into issue number nine since we're running a little long. Please. Um, uh, came out June of 1990, entitled Gone. Actually, it's entitled Dot 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 Gone. Which is a continuation of the second title. What was it again? Oh, Going. 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 And then the third one is Gone. Exactly. Gotcha. All right, so cover shows a glowing-eyed Sweeney having Kirk in a full Nelson. You know, I'm busting out my wrestling move lingo here. Uh-huh. Uh, in the background, there is a crudely drawn Enterprise battling with a Klingon ship on a view screen. For whatever reason, that, that artwork in that view screen looks really bad to me. But maybe that's just me. So the uh, creators of this are the same... So I won't go through all of them again. Starts off with the United Federation of Planets Council president is communicating with Admiral Nagoria, which is the first time we've seen him in a long time. And he's discussing how Vice Admiral Tomlinson is acting a little odd and very aggressive. Nagora agrees to have words with him and to set everything straight. Meanwhile, on the bridge of Sweeney's command ship, Kirk is blasting everyone in sight. He is attempting to lower the shield so that Spock and Blaze can return to the planet. On the Enterprise, Sulu is trying to keep the Klingons and the Nazgul from attacking each other, uh, but he's unable to do so. So as the Klingons and the Nazgul start attacking each other, Sweeney's fleets start attacking the Federation ships. Kirk is able to briefly get communications to the Enterprise and to lower the shields long enough for Spock and Blaze to beam to the planet. Sulu orders the crew to keep a lock on Kirk's signal, and if the shields ever go down again, they are to lower the Enterprise's shields in order to beam Kirk back. On Sweeney's ship, Kirk and Sweeney are fighting vigorously. It seems to be a pretty even match, and eventually Kirk is able to knock Sweeney into the shield controls, thus dropping the shields on the ship. As Sulu orders Scotty to beam Kirk away, Kirk looks up and is shocked to see another Sweeney watching him fight. This new Sweeney simply shouts out, Maximum Overload! as Kirk and the fake Sweeney are caught up in the transporter effect. As Kirk and the fake Sweeney materialize on the transporter pad, Kirk orders Scotty to beam them back into space immediately. Uh, The fake Sweeney starts to glow and light starts shooting out of his mouth and his eyes. At the very last moment, as the transporter is about to beam the two of them into space, Kirk is able to break free and the fake Sweeney rematerializes in space and explodes. The explosion is absolutely massive. Not only does it cause all the attacking ships to be thrown away from each other, thus ending the fight, but the blast completely engulfs the planet sky as Blaze watches in horror, because she's very concerned about Kirk now. Uh, She worries that he might have died in that blast. And somehow this blast is not only takes up the whole sky, but it also creates a sound wave that makes it all the way to the surface of the planet, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, She runs to tell Spock what she saw, but she finds that he is already in contact with Kirk, who is safe aboard the Enterprise. She hears the exchange between the two of them and becomes quite upset that Kirk did not ask about her specifically. 
Miss Janice agrees to let the Enterprise rescue them, uh, knowing that Kirk can handle whatever comes up. Kirk talks to Sulu about his decisions to risk the Enterprise to save him. He also, he being Kirk, explains that women like Blaze do not want men to worry about them. This romantic advice causes Uhura to roll her eyes. Uh, back on Sweeney's ship, he is very moody about losing Kirk and not being able to get the money from the ransom and to kill the Nazgul and the Klingons uh, after he gets the money. He kills the Tellarite lackey just for the fun of it and then asks for Mozart to be played. So again, uh, an example of his two extreme natures. Back on Earth, Nagoria is talking to Tomlinson, but is interrupted when Kirk calls to inform the Admiral that he's coming in to face the trials that was being demanded by Tomlinson, the Klingons, and Sala. And then, to be continued, next issue, The Trial of Captain Kirk. Which, that storyline is the one that's been collected in a graphic novel entitled The Trial of Captain Kirk. Uh, another Trial of Captain Kirk. Why is Kirk always being tried? Because when you're that good, everybody just wants a piece of you, man. They, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so I find it funny that Kirk is going to turn himself in. I mean, if they were really going to have a trial, then Starfleet would have ordered Kirk to come back. So I don't really see how how this is a big gesture on Kirk's part. Well, I mean, what would have I mean, his but, other but specifically, but specifically, they didn't ask him to come back. So, right. I mean, so so, but then Kirk is like, "Well, what's going to happen? I mean, I'm going to go back and endanger the lives of my crew, and then any other Starfleet ships that try to come to our aid. This can't keep. This can't go on like this. No. It, so it, what it, can he do? But what what else could he have done anyways? If he did go on trial, which he obviously knew was about to happen, well, they would have ordered him back anyways. And well, and him coming back is not going to be that big a deal. So is it just that he volunteered to come home before being asked? That's the big that's the big sacrifice. I don't know. I don't know. I was just a little confused. I don't know. But but you you do make a good point because there was wasn't it Sweeney who had mentioned to them that he had heard that there was going to be a trial of Kirk. Mm -hmm. So that's how Kirk found out about it. So that, that is a good point. He did find out about them having the trial. So they would have asked him, well, ah, but the president did not make his decision yet. Right. So he, he's just coming so, back before the trial can be set. Well, or if there was going to be a trial, I mean, the, it, at the beginning of the story arc, when uh, when Jerkoff Vice Admiral Tomlinson goes ahead and proposes this trial, the the president said, "I said no trial before. I mean, a long time ago, uh, right. we said, you know, uh, we're not going to try Kirk. So this is this whole uh, Vice Admiral idea is overturning a decision that's already been made. So I don't know. I mean, may, maybe Kirk, maybe Kirk wouldn't have been tried." president would have stuck to his guns mm. but i mean obviously kirk is is in a mode where this can't keep on going like this i mean look at all the people that were risked the 75 colonists my crew you know the other uh starships that came to his aid right there had to be somewhere way of clearing the air and quite frankly i still don't see you know on the surface that a trial is necessarily going to solve anything i don't think it'll solve anything at all because they're yeah. like we said a minute ago 
they're going to be he's going to be found not guilty and the klingons and the nazgul aren't going to be happy about that right however as we've seen many times in the original series when kirk has to put on his debate team captain hat on and get out there and just by sheer force of his logical passionately delivered debate points is able to make change people's minds maybe he will find a way to change the mind of the Klingons and Nazgul. <laughs> Maybe. Perhaps. Mr. Spock, it could happen. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, so how I thought that uh, they were explaining Sweeney's superpowers is yeah. that I think he was some sort of robot the whole time. Well, okay. I can and- self-destruct. And create this massive, <laughs> massive, massive, massive explosion. Well, that is an that is an explanation. However, he did say he was going to go after him himself, and he was wearing the glasses because it seemed like whoever's wearing the glasses is the real Sweeney. And at least at the end of this issue, the fake Sweeney was oh, okay. not wearing glasses. I did not catch that. Yeah, I, I didn't catch that. The Sweeney he was fighting didn't have the glasses. Right. And is he a robot? I don't know what he is, he, but he's he's he, all smiling and giggling and stuff when he's <laughs> fighting with Kurt. Yeah, and, and, and another interesting point, which I didn't get until I read it a couple times, is at the end of the issue, as Sweeney is sitting there lying, kind of depressed about the fact that his down payment on his retirement fund has been spoiled, mm-hmm. he says what he intended to do was to get the money, and then blow everybody up using the uh, robot, or well, whatever he is, the fake Sweeney. I mean, whether uh, I, he... I didn't catch that he was going to do it with the robot. Well, yeah, exactly, because the first thing I was thinking was like, okay, you mean to tell me that Sweeney has thought about all this, and he knew there would be a situation where Kirk would be in a fight with his double, that he could stick his double into the situation, whatever he is being, and... And get the Enterprise to beam him, a Kirk, and the blow-up double to the Enterprise? I mean, it's like he figured all this out ahead of time, and that's why he's got a blow-up double? It's like, that doesn't make any sense. And, of course, at the end, and, and it took me a little while to, to understand it, but his plan all the time was to hold the auction, get a winner, get the money... And then use his fake double with the bomb inside of him to blow everybody up while See, he gets I, away. I, I, I didn't get that. I didn't get it. I, I... Well, read that last part. I, I read... It doesn't say anything about the bomb. What? Oh, oh. Okay, let me, let, me, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. He said that... Uh, and then blow up everybody, but yeah. Kirk ruined it. But he doesn't say he was going to blow it up with his bomb guy. Well, I just how was he going to blow everybody up? I mean, his... that was the explanation... His big ass ships. Oh, I don't know about. I, I don't. I I, I didn't uh, get that's that. That's what either. I got. That his ships were going to. He was going to get the payment, beam over yeah. Kirk, okay. and so, then destroy all the ships. So this is what he says. So every everything's over, and he's there with his lackeys on the ship, and he's having a drink, and he looks all depressed and stuff. This certainly bollocks the start of my retirement fund, and I was so looking forward to the auction. Nothing quite like it for getting the old blood pumping. It was going to be so exciting. Get the highest bid, 
turn over the good captain upon receipt of the funds, and then blow up everybody, but Kirk ruined it. So you thought they were going to use his ships to blow up everybody, and he didn't know how many ships were going to come? That's what I thought. Okay. Well, I took it different. I took it that he was planning on using his double that somehow has a blow-up bit installed in him, whether he be a human being. Uh, and if he is, by the way, if he is a human being with a bomb implanted in him, man, what? how did he talk this double guy into doing that? So See, I, you know, I got that he was some sort of robot. And, and, and I kind of got the feeling that he's always been a robot, that uh, maybe there's like several versions of, uh, of Sweeney, Sweeney, and that, Sweeney uh, robot you know, guys. Yeah, when one of them got into a fight with Kirk, he sent another one of his robots. Uh, I didn't catch the the goggle thing like you yeah. did, uh, yeah. so I just assumed they were both Sweeney, and that you know that was kind of the explanation as to how he was you know had these superpowers or whatever. Oh, uh, okay. But maybe and, maybe you're right. I mean. I, I, I still and, think that first guy was a robot of some sort because, you know, when he... Well, that would explain he, the superhuman strength. Yeah. And and what I think, and I could be totally wrong, is that it was the real Sweeney that did that. I mean, he said he was going to do it himself. And somehow he's got some kind of gimmick thing, like uh, the Michael Keaton Batman thing, where he's got some kind of exoskeleton ga- gadget or something, you know, that, that lets him hold that uh, that guy over the edge at the beginning of the first Batman movie. Oh, you think um, that wasn't? I always thought that was just Batman. No, didn't you? Didn't you see that that mechanism they kind of showed? That he he had a mechanism that that helped him to do that. Okay. Um. Anyway, so I figured there was some kind of exoskeleton or something. Okay, so towards the end, we've got Kirk holding his own against the double. I mean, doing a, a decent job of fighting the guy. If he was some super robotic strong guy, you know, how would that be happening? Unless he was ordered to let Kirk win by the real Sweeney. Anyway, so I, I guess yeah, you don't. I see what you, you're saying. Yeah, I guess you don't know. I mean, it could have went. Uh, it could have went multiple ways. They don't tell you a hundred percent. I guess you just leave it up to your own imagination, I suppose. And then, what about that explosion? Yes. I mean, that, that explosion was not just a normal, you know, guy has a nuclear bomb inside of him explosion. <laughs> if well, it was truly that massive. It, it was pretty big. Well, you think a nuclear bomb wouldn't be big? I think it would be, but, you know, supposedly a, you know, a warp core breach is much more powerful than that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, completely. You know, we've, we've seen those in, in various shows and movies, and right. it it didn't knock a uh, you know what 12 or so ships that were in battle so well, far away from each other that they all stopped fighting and went back home I mean and well yeah. I mean it, okay do your end what do your end <laughs> I'm just saying the and the explosion was so big that you could see it from the planet on the planet surface and right. that it completely engulfs the sky and creates a sound well, wave that you could hear on on the planet itself. Yeah. It just seemed which, way too w- ma- Which is another thing. I mean, obviously in space there's no sound waves, but maybe when the force of the explosion actually hits the upper uh, bits of air in the ionosphere or whatever, you know, maybe that did cause right. uh, the, the, the atmosphere to vibrate. But 
Well, I mean, quite frankly, if a warp with those ships that close together fighting and that close to the planet, if there was a warp core breach, I always, I always, I mean, this is matter and antimatter coming together, and not a small amount. I mean, with a warp core breach, it's basically well, all the antimatter that's actually in the chamber ends mm-hmm. up. You know, you know, coming into contact with each other. So I always thought that would be so massive an explosion. It would take all the ships out. However, as we recall in Generations, the Enterprise uh, saucer section, Enterprise uh, D saucer section, rather than being blown to bits, as it should have been, quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, it gets thrown into the atmosphere. So I don't know. But I, I don't think that explosion of that guy was as big as uh, a warp core breach would have been. And as far as what an explosive, it shouldn't have been right. And as far as what you know, what explosive mechanisms was being used. I mean, this is hundreds of years in the future. I mean, you know, who who they can probably take with the sufficient technology. You could probably increase the yield of a normal fission reaction, like in our bombs now. You could probably increase the yield of that many times over with the right kind of technology. Who knows what kind of technology they'd have, uh, you know, 300 years sure. in the future. But, but to put whatever. it inside of a person or to put it inside of a robot that acted just like a person right. just seems... Yeah. And, just by the way, and by the way, if it was a robot, it was a pretty sophisticated robot. I mean, it was like a... It was. You know, it, it was like a... Uh, not like the robots <laughs> that we saw... Uh, back when we did that Peter Pan thing in issue 41 or whatever <laughs> that was. I mean, this is a, these are sophisticated, or the robots we saw in, uh, in the, in, in the uh, zombie infestation of one's eye that looked like big, uh, refrigerators. Now, this is a very sophisticated, if it was a, ro- a robot, a very sophisticated robot, uh, more like, uh, Commander Data kind of sophistication. But, yeah. Well, even more so than Commander Data, because he, Laughed and made jokes, and I mean, that's why I was thinking maybe he was just well, a like an avatar of some sort, and there was a real Sweeney control in him. Oh, I see, remote control kind of thing. But, maybe that's one of yeah, the functions so, of his fancy yeah. glasses. Maybe it doesn't make sense, and and it's not really even explained. No, it, it's not well explained. And we should probably wrap up because we'll never know. <laughs> so, yeah, but exactly. but, we'll but you know some. Exactly. So some good stories don't tell you everything. And also some stories that are really good that, you know, maybe have some thin bits that they really couldn't quite work through. Like exactly how, I mean, you knew they, you knew that Kirk and Spock had to be defeated in the beginning or you couldn't have all the stuff going on uh, in the middle, right? Right. So fine. So they were defeated. Fine. And at the end, Kirk is able to hold his own against, uh, you know, uh, fake Sweeney. So fine. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. It it doesn't matter. Yeah. It was it was a good story overall. I I like the story. Just the ending was a little odd for me. Yep. And then him being the character of a villain, killing his lackey at the end because. The lackey agrees that this may look bad for his reputa- reputation. Exactly right. <laughs> anyway. And do you do you think that would help improve right, my else? reputation? Uh, yes. Okay, that's it. We already talked about all this stuff. Oh, actually, I do have one more thing, and then we're going to end because we're going sure. long. Towards the end, when 
Spock is told to take the injured girl to safety while He-Man Kirk goes to deal with the bridge full of enemy combatants all alone. It completely reminded... I wasn't crazy about that. I mean, first off, if I was going to do something like that and go to take on that many guys, I would want a, a, a Vulcan with me, you know? I would want to do more of the thing that happened in Star Trek Eleven when they went on uh, the, the Romulan ship. I, I, that's what I would prefer. Um, and the thing just all smacked of improbability and basically of most of the Wild Wild West scripts I ever saw, where somehow... Artemis Gordon would always have to take the girl to safety while Jim West goes and takes care of the bad guy. And uh, I always thought that was uh, improbable and, you know, elevating the, the main hero to such a lofty uh, pinnacle at the cost of his sidekick. I, I never liked that kind of stuff. Although, you know, I guess it had to happen because Kirk had to be alone they had to be tra- he had to be fighting Sweeney. He had to be transported to the Enterprise. You know all that kind of stuff. So I guess it had to happen. And, but I Andy like had it. to Andy had to save Blaze and and show her that he put oh, her first. Yeah, what a great guy he is. He is putting himself in even more danger to make sure that she gets safe with Spock's help. Yeah. Anyway, I just yep. I just I just never liked that kind of thing. Sure, I'm done. Anything else? That it. Okay, so before we talk about next week's episode, uh, I just wanted to go over the Expanded Universe stuff for April, May, and June of T90. So just real quick, each month had a novel. April had an original series novel called The Pandora Principle by Carolyn Klaus, or Close. I I don't know how you pronounce it, but this is the one that uh, I've talked about in the past where it's the, uh, the first novel to really go into Savick's backstory about how she's half Romulan and half Vulcan. So a lot of what's in here in this novel is also in those DC comics and Marvel comics that we read earlier. In May, there was a Next Generation novel entitled Gulliver's Fugitives by Keith Cherie, and it was about a colony of humans that were on a planet that had uh, outlawed fiction and imagination and things like that. So I I never bought it because it looked a little silly because it shows like a giant on the cover and it's called Gulliver's Fugitive so I was just worried that it would be Lilliputians and things like that so I never bought that one don't blame you and and then in June and I'm sure it's not I'm sure it's better than that but uh, I was in high school when these were coming out and that one just didn't strike my fancy Right. and then uh, in June there was a novel entitled Doctor's Orders by Diane Duane, and this is one where McCoy is given command of the of the Enterprise while Kurt is on leave. What? Or he's on a he's on a mission somewhere, and he puts McCoy in command. Well, that, that that's like when Crusher ended up in command of the Enterprise D. In well, that Crusher one ultimately became. Well, well I know, but not back captain. then. Well, yeah, yeah. She she ends up becoming the captain of a medical ship or something. Well, that's cool, but. You know, I I don't know. I thought that was a bit of a stretch in that right. next-gen episode. I get you. I, I'm sure in this novel they painted a logical scenario. Right, and Diane Duane is really good. I've read a lot of her stuff, and, and I really like her. So, But I have not read that one, coincidentally. So 
there's just too many Star Trek stuff to have been able to read all exactly. of it. Too much good stuff. So, anyways, that's it for the Expanded Universe. Uh, next week, we'll go over which Star Trek The Next Generation episodes were coming out at the same time. Which is the end of Season 3, so I know that that's some of your favorite episodes. So, we'll <laughs> talk about that next week. Okay. And we'll also do Star Trek The Next Generation, issue number 6, 7, and 8. Is that right? Or No, wait, isn't it the same seven, one? Eight, 7, nine. 8, 9? 7, 8, 9. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll get to see Data putting the moves on that little boy's mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, amongst other things. I, I'm sure, I'm sure that won't be the, the major plot point. <laughs> exactly. Just one of multiple parallel uh, storylines. Yeah, to be honest, I don't remember what happens in these next couple issues on The Next Generation. So I know I read them way back when, but I'm kind of feel like I'm reading them for the first time, so it's good. So, until then, we'll talk to you guys later. See you next week, everybody, on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview.com comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review <laughs>